morning, everybody. Welcome to Red City Church. Uh, my name is Joel. In case you're just visiting with, with us this Sunday, uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're really happy to have you here if you are visiting, and we're really happy to see those of you who are a part of our normal congregation, too. Thanks for coming out. Uh, the nicest Sunday we've had since we've launched, um, which is great, which says something because it's snowing out right now. Um, but uh, it's, been, it's been fun. It's been quite a fun uh, last few months. So... Um, we have been uh, in a sermon series on the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians ever since we uh, launched Res City. So um, if you want to open your Bibles to Ephesians 4 or your phones or whatever it is you use, uh, go ahead and do that. We'll be in Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. Um, now, just for a little recap for those of you who are, are visiting, uh, maybe it's your first time uh, checking us out um, a little recap of where we've, where we've been. We've been kind of uh, basing a lot of what we've been talking about off of a, a quote. I think this has been really helpful to kind of sum up how we're viewing the book of Ephesians. Uh, this is, oh, that's not right. Um, this is not the quote I'm using, um, in case you were wondering. There we go. All right. Hold on. All right, there we go. So this is from John Stott. He's a commentator, uh, wrote a commentary in the book of Ephesians. He says, Ephesians' central theme is God's new society, what it is, how it came into being through Christ, how its origins and nature were revealed to Paul, how it grows through proclamation, how we are to live lives worthy of it, and how one day it will be consummated when Christ presents his bride, the church, to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy and without blemish. So what he's saying is that the church is this new society that God has founded. Um, and church planting, which, which is what we have, have done as we've started this, this church, Resurrection City, is uh, this intentional growing of this new society uh, in new places to reinforce and strengthen God's kingdom purposes, right? Um, trying to seek to expand the bounds of God's kingdom in places where um, it, can, it can continue to grow. And that's kind of our desire and our reason for planting uh, Resurrection City. Um, and we've talked a lot about uh, kind of the, 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 the origins and nature part of this for the last few weeks. So if you're interested, you can go back and you can listen to those sermons on our website or uh, we are also on Spotify or iTunes. Um, so you can go back and listen to some of those in case you're kind of wondering where we've come from if you've missed them. But we're going to be uh, getting into the second half of the book today, which is where things start to get a little bit more practical, um, where Paul is going to kind of move into this place where he talks about what it actually looks like to live uh, this distinctive life of the church. What it means to live out uh, these origins of this, uh, of this new society. What it took to found uh, this new society. Um, and so, um, as a way to kind of understand what that looks like or how, like what Paul has talked about beforehand when he's talked about uh, the, the founding of this new society that is the church, um, and this, this new society that is, is a, made up of a, of a group of people who've been made new by God's spirit, who've been forgiven of their sin, who um, have been unified uh, one another regardless of race or, or gender or anything. Everyone is brought together into unity through Jesus on the cross. Um, in order to kind of understand how that plays into to who we are, I want you to think about it a little bit from this standpoint. So, um, has anyone ever heard of national myths? Is this something anyone has ever ever really heard about? So, you actually have. Uh, you just don't realize it. So, when countries get founded, they often have like a story that is behind their founding that impacts uh, the values of who they are, right? Um, they have some uh, 
some founding story that creates their customs or its values based on how they came to be. Um, and, and it really shapes the identity of these people. It shapes the things that they value, the things that they, they go after and chase. And an obvious example of this would be the founding of America, right? I, I Googled America and freedom, and I got a ton of pictures like this. That's pretty much all that came up, right? Um, so, like, we take our founding national myth very seriously in America, right? Because um, we're a country that uh, came into being as we, like, threw off you know, the tyrannous English people who were taxing us too high, right? Like, that's how we came into being. And so now we are just obsessed with freedom as Americans. Like, that is who we are. If you talk about what, what Americans are, we're about freedom. That's pretty much uh, all that, that we think about, right? And it's because of where we've come from. It's because of the story of our founding that that is a huge value for us. And that's, that's true of a lot of countries, um, you know, we, 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 we all want freedom and we're all about making sure that freedom, uh, you know, is, is there for everybody, right? Uh, we're making sure that no one is impinging on anyone else's freedom. We're all about uh, making other countries be free, which is kind of weird because sometimes we go in and we take over their country or do, do weird things. But we're about freedom, right? That's like who we are. That's what we do. Um, and, and you can see the way in which that founding national myth of America um, has played into who we are today. Because it's still a huge deal. 250 years or whatever later, this is, this is what we're about. Um, and the church is kind of like that too, right? We've talked about the founding of the church um, throughout the first half of the book of Ephesians. But now Paul's going to move into what our values should be, what our distinctive life should look like, and it's all based off of kind of this, this founding idea that we've talked about. Okay, So, we, we, we've, like I said, if you want to go back and hear a little bit more about that stuff, we're going to touch on it today. But if you want to go back and hear more of it, feel free to listen to some of our past sermons. But Paul actually kind of sums it up in the passage today a little bit um, at the very end of it. So I'm actually going to start by going to the end of our passage, we're in Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. I'm going to read the last uh, two verses to you. So Paul says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So I'm guessing you've noticed there's one word that gets repeated a lot in that passage, right? The word one. It's a big part of what Paul is saying is kind of, fitting for us, right? He'll talk about that in just a second, but oneness is incredibly important. There's, there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, right? And so he says, like, there's one king, there's one God, there's one spirit who's created the reality that we live in, who's been the one who's been the catalyst for starting this, this, this thing called the church, for, for giving us newness of life, for, for forgiveness of sins, for uh, redemption, recreation. There's one God who's at the center of that, one king, one spirit. Um, there's one faith and there's one baptism, right? These are the, the one access points into this thing, as we're told, right? This is the way in which you become incorporated to what this one king, one God is doing. And then all of us who are a part of that have one hope, right? There's one hope that God is going to be uniting all things in heaven and on earth under his son Jesus. That's what Paul has talked about back in the first chapter, and he hints at the mystery uh, of, of 
that has been revealed to him that he's now revealing to us in this book, that's stuff that he's talked about so far, and he kind of sums it up here, right? He says, this is what it looks like. Oneness in, is, is huge. And then the other big thing, and we'll kind of talk about as we move forward, the two big themes that emerge are unity or oneness and then also holiness, right? And we see that that plays out uh, in this because we're set apart, for oneness. And that's really what holiness means. Like holiness is maybe a word that we think of as like a really big churchy word or like um, an archaic one or something that has a lot to do with like a moral quality. Like I think I'm holier than thou, right? I just think I'm more righteous than all of you. That's actually not really what the word holy means. It actually just means set apart or, or made uh, separate and distinct for the purpose of something. And so when we talk about ourselves as holy, we're talking about ourselves being set apart by this one God. And so a better way to talk about these two big themes, we could think of it like together, right? One, united, we are a people for God. We are holy. We are set apart for him in our unity and our oneness. And that's going to be this huge, uh, important thing for Paul as we move forward in the passage, all right? So let's move, let's move into it. We'll back up now, now that you kind of see where Paul is going or what, what's, what's the founding uh, national uh, story of the church that impacts our values, impacts our identity and how we see ourselves. Paul lays that out here, but let's actually get into what he talks about those values are, what it looks like to live those out, okay? So verse one, uh, Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So he's saying, kind of what we said before, live a life worthy of this calling, right? Live in light of that. He's, I'm exhorting you to live in a way that's consistent with the manner in which you have been called, okay? And actually, the NIV, which is the, the translation we're using here, um, is, actually loses the force. He says, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. It actually maybe reads better, live a life worthy of the calling by which you have been called. So it's kind of like a, a play on that word. The calling is so important here. And we've, we've talked about um, the way in which we're, we're summoned, we're called by God earlier. Again, you can go back. Um, and listen to that sermon. Um, our, it's our second week of this. But like this idea that we're called by God, right? We're, we're summoned by God to be a part of what he's doing. Um, that's what he's saying here. Now you need to start living in a way that's consistent with it, right? Because God has done this thing, because he's set you apart, he's made you new, he's brought you into unity with one another in the church, start living as if that's the case. That's what he's saying, okay? Now it's important to note who, like how he describes himself here too because he says, as a prisoner for the Lord. So Paul self-designates himself as a prisoner here. Now, Paul's probably in prison when he writes this. That's kind of what a lot of scholars think. But it's a, it's a double entendre because he's not just saying, I'm a prisoner because of my witness to the gospel. That's probably why he was in prison is because of his spreading of the gospel and kind of pissing off the wrong people and doing that. But, um, I'm also here because I'm a, a prisoner. I'm under, the, I'm under the, the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So I'm gonna be willing to go to prison for the sake of him. Like, I'm gonna do what I'm told because I'm a prisoner to him. Um, and so he's exhorting us to also live, in a sense, as prisoners of the Lord, too. Now, we talked about the, like, the founding of America that we're part of and how freedom and life, liberty, liberty and happiness are, are the pursuit of happiness are, are the things that we care about here, right? And so we read this thing, 
And we're, we're, called to, like, we're, we're called to be have this calling on our lives, and we're called to be prisoners to the Lord, and we might actually cringe at that a little bit, right? Because like, we like freedom. We don't like have being, having anyone tell us what to do, right? That's a distinctly American thing. Um, we really hate it. And, but, but Paul is actually exhorting us in a way that kind of clashes with our American national identity to live as prisoners of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Now, um, that's not a bad thing, right? We tend to look at living as a prisoner or living as, as Paul talks about how we're slaves to righteousness in other places. He calls himself a slave to God in other places. We tend to look at that as a bad thing, right? And we should. Slavery is, is not a, a, a good thing, obviously. But, but the way that Paul means it is like we're, we're called to something that is so much better, right, than the founding national story of any other country we could live in, right? And so to live in accordance with that is actually for our best, for our best, okay? Now, think, think of it like this, right? What does it look like to actually live worthy of the calling you've received, or why does that matter? Um, think a little bit about acting. Um, if you don't really sell the part, like, you, you kind of suck, right? Like, it's, there's really not much point in being up there. And, and so, like, you can tell if someone, if you're watching someone act, if they're not really playing the part very well, right? If they're not really into it, you can just, you can just tell, and you just get lost, and you don't even really, like, want to watch the play or the movie or anything anymore. It just really takes you out of it. Um, and, and so, the point of acting is to, like, live in the part you're playing. Like, the best actors and actresses are people who totally inhabit the part that they're supposed to be playing. They live worthy of that calling to act, right? Uh, one of the most famous actors is a guy named Daniel Day-Lewis. People, some of you have heard of him, right? He does crazy stuff like, I guess he played Abraham Lincoln in a movie, and I think he like lived in a log cabin without electricity for like six months before he played the part. He was like, I'm gonna, I'm not just playing Abraham Lincoln, I'm gonna be Abraham Lincoln for, for a while before this. So that when he got on stage, he could live worthy of that part, right? He could totally inhabit that part. And the more and more you throw yourself into that, uh, the more and more um, you're gonna live that out in a way that is best for you and everything else, right? Everything is gonna work better the more you throw yourself into that calling. Side, side note, I had a dream that Daniel Day-Lewis came to our service last night. And so I don't know where that came from. If any of you know Daniel Day-Lewis and want to invite him to Rest City, please do. And also, we could see if he would, would want to tithe. That would be really nice. So um, total side note. That is a really weird thing. Okay, anyway, selling, you know, living your life worthy of the calling is the same as like, is like really selling yourself in the part you're acting. It's not going to really work unless you do that, Okay. And so, so we need to really like completely give ourselves into this new calling, right? Otherwise, like it's just not going to work how it's supposed to, right? The unity is not going to work. Living new, like we're called to live, is just not going to work like it's supposed to unless we really throw ourselves into it. And so Paul is like exhorting us to do that, to throw ourselves into this calling that we've been called to, to live in accordance, live in line, live congruently with this with this oneness and holiness and unity and to live according to uh, this founding story that we've been talking about in the book of Ephesians so far, okay? Let's keep going in the passage, um, the, the rest of the verses here, verses two and three. Um, and this is kind of like a summary statement, almost like a heading. This is what 
of, of what's going to come after this. So there's, so, uh, there's chapter 4, 5, and 6 that all kind of continue on this line where Paul starts to really get practical and really say this is what it looks like to live according to this calling. But this is kind of like a summary of it, right? So we should be seeing this as kind of like laying out what is going to be go into more detail in the rest of the book of Ephesians and to really explain it in depth more, okay? So I'm looking forward to really diving into that. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to really uh, get really practical here for the next few weeks as we finish up the book of Ephesians. But see this as like a heading or a calling. So Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So the big picture live according to the calling, looks like three things. He highlights three different things in particular. First of all, humility and gentleness. Second, patience. And then third, making every effort, okay? Really selling yourselves into it. So let's focus on each of those, okay? First of all, humble and gentleness. Be completely humble and gentle with one another. So what he's saying here is that, like, unity takes work. Holiness, living set apart for God, takes work. It's not just an easy thing that like we can do in our sleep or something like that. He's saying it takes work, okay? And humility and gentleness do take work. Now, why, why would humility and gentleness be some things that he highlights uh, here? Well, from what we know about the early church from historians, they say that Paul lived in a face-to-face society where self-advertisement, rivalry, and public competition were a perpetual cause of tension in everyday life. As recent research has emphasized, almost all social relations in Paul's cultural context were both ordered and threatened by the competition for honor. So there's this view in which like, there's like a limited amount of honor in a society. And there are a lot of honor-shame societies. Even today, if you go into the Middle East, a lot of those are still honor-shame societies um, where there's like a competition for honor. And it's like there's a limited amount of it too. So you're really, you know, it's really important that you're competing with other people for honor. And you do that by um, different things like self-advertisement, rivalry, competing with one another in different ways. And, and you, you see that play out in the New Testament if you're looking for it. Um, but basically, uh, Paul knows that these type of things, right, these types of values that you would have as a Roman citizen or someone living in, in the Greco-Roman world is going to cause disunity, right? And you think you can kind of guess as to why, right? Um, but basically, um, his strategy is to go right after it, right off the bat and say, listen, I need to tell you, you need to live humble and you need to live gently with one another because if you don't, it's going to ruin this stuff. The, the unity stuff, the living your life worthy of the calling you've received is just not going to work out. Um, now, we're actually no better, right? We don't live in an honor-shame society in the same way, but we still love to, uh, to do a lot of the things here. In, in her book, the argument culture, linguist Deborah Tannen asserts that our culture is permeated by a pervasive warlike atmosphere that makes us approach just about anything we need to accomplish as if we're a fight, right? Go on Facebook or Twitter or you read YouTube comments or go on Reddit and, and you'll think you'll pretty like quickly will understand the way in which that plays out. Look at national discourse like in politics or whatever. Like it's just a big fight. Um, and, and like, I think we all, like, we all are a part of this, right? Like, I know myself, for sure, am a big part of this. Like, think about how, um, like, you are tempted to react when someone disagrees with you on something, something that you feel strongly about, right? Like, a way you should implement this project to work, or how something is taking place in the church, like, or, or, you know, like, 
what color the carpet is going to be in my house. Like, I think about how often I get in fights with, with Julie, and I'm like, a lot of times it's just because I want to be right. I want to win the argument, right? And like, I think that's a pretty natural thing for us, right? We, we don't like to lose. We like to show ourselves off. And I think what Paul is saying here in the first century remains true for us as well today, okay? So we need to like, we need to remove this posture of, of viewing everything as a fight, right? And that takes humility. That takes viewing ourselves uh, lower than we tend to view ourselves. Instead of thinking of ourselves as like the best ever, right? I'm the best ever at this thing, or I'm, or I'm the worst ever. Like that's where we tend to bounce back and forth between those things, but it's all about trying to be the best ever. And viewing ourselves humbly allows us to view ourselves in a right way. View ourselves in a way in which we're not gonna fight each other and cause disunity. We can't have unity if we're going to disagree on everything because what we care more about than unity is fighting with one another. Now, let's go a little bit further. We, we also live in a culture that loves to boast about itself, right? We love to, to show off how great we are to other people. Um, imagine you're an alien and you, like, come visit, uh, just, like, you just land your spaceship right in the middle of Minneapolis here, and you start to, like, look at just the things of, of our culture and you, f- you stumble upon Instagram, right? And you're, like, Looking at, like, you, you would say, like, man, the people in this, this world are obsessed with, like, showing themselves doing really, like, normal things. Or, you know, like, they love to show off, like, their lives. Like, they want, want me to know everything that they're doing and think it's, like, the greatest version of that thing ever, right? Or, or they would, um, like, watch some movies and they would be like, what do you think the mess, what do you think the values of this culture are? Like, oh, it's about, like, shining. It's about, like, uh, it's about showing off how great you are, like not letting anyone tell you you can't do what you want to do, right? And like always having to go off and like be the star of whatever you're doing. Like that's like, you know, not, not all of us are as prone to that as others, right? But that still is something that we, we, we are, are taught on a regular basis just through like the way social media works or the way that like a lot of movies and TV shows, like at, what's at the heart of those things. Like that's just the world we live in, right? And so we're all tempted uh, to do that, at, a lot of times at the expense of others. And so humility is really important because it doesn't cause us to view ourselves as better than everybody else, but it causes us to view ourselves um, at the same level as everyone. And so that's why Paul says humility and gentleness are so important. All right, let's go to the next part here. He talks about be patient, bearing with one another in love. So patience, if you think about it, is, at, is only really needed when people are like slowing you down or they've hurt you in some way, right? Like that is kind of assumed when Paul says you need to be patient and bear with one another in love. Like it's assumed that we're going to struggle, we're going to hurt ourselves, we're going to be competing with each other for honor, right? We're going to be doing stuff that's going to be hurting one another, right? And it also assumes that like we, we tend to view people as inconveniences or hindrances to us. Right? If, if you even have to say that, then it assumes that that's how we tend to view other people sometimes. Um, and here's the thing. Paul's aware that like, to bring all these people together right, in unity under Christ, like, anytime you get a group of people together, they're going to start to irritate each other after a while. Right? Um, and they're going to start to, to be upset with one another, start to be hurt by one another. Sometimes legitimately, sometimes not legitimately, legitimately but it's going to happen. And so, in order to counteract that natural tendency of humans when we come together, Paul needs to say one of our values, one of the founding things that we care about in the church is being patient and bearing with one another in love. Now, I think there's like a, 
there's like a misconception of what love is. Or like there's a, it doesn't quite line up with the way the Bible talks about love and how we tend to view love in our culture today. Because we tend to think of love as like this feeling we have, right? And you either have it or you don't. And when you don't have it anymore, then the love is gone or something like that. So we really tend to lean on that emotion that we have. Um, and I think that's a part of love, biblically, but it's, it's a much broader thing than that in the Bible. And what Paul means when he says here is love is like an active thing. It's, it's, like, it's not a feeling necessarily. It's something that's shown in deeds. It's a faithfulness. It's like I'm setting my love on this person or on these people, and I'm going to do the hard work of bearing with them, um, being faithful to them. God is called love in the Bible, right? 1 John 4, 8, God is love, right? That's a verse we all love. Just look at who God is in the Bible and you'll see that he is someone who puts up with so much crap from his people, right? Like for thousands of years, he's bearing with his people Israel in love despite the fact that they're going off the rails in all sorts of ways and we're just scratching our heads being like, these people are the worst. Like how does God put up with them? God is love means that he puts up, he's faithful to his people and for us to live in love is to uh, follow in in bearing with one another and being patient as God is patient with us, okay? Now, here's an example of what it looks like to bear with one another in love. Paul talks about this in the book of Romans in chapter 14. Uh, meat sacrifice to idols. So here he doesn't expand on it, but he does in other places. So I thought it'd be helpful to maybe uh, spend a little time in, in another place where he does uh, kind of uh, um, trace out what this looks like in Romans 14. So he's talking about meat sacrifice idols, which is a really weird thing because um, we have no concept of what this looks like. But basically, um, you have in the first century, like you have meat that would get uh, slaughtered in a temple. It's actually where a lot of meat got, like a lot of the butchers in the first century were actually priests of different uh, pagan cults and they would uh, slaughter an animal and then they would dedicate some of it to the deity and then the rest of it they'd sell in the marketplace and so there's this big like um, thing for Jews is that you didn't eat meat that had been originally sacrificed to idols or killed for the purpose of being sacrificed to this other deity because it might be seen as worship to that God and so Paul is like kind of coming into this place where where people are trying to fight these Christians in the, in the early church are trying to decide, like, what do we do with meat sacrifice idols? Because we like meat. We would rather eat meat than not eat meat. So can we still eat this if things change in light of Jesus? And you get this group that Paul calls the strong. And these are people who understand that eating unclean food doesn't do anything for their worth, right? It, they are understanding that God created the whole world. And that includes animals. That includes meat. And so it belongs to him. And so to eat this meat doesn't really matter. You're not, you're not eating something that's, that's set apart for this God and not, not this God, okay? But then you have what Paul calls the weak. Um, and these are people who, for whatever reason, they don't have that understanding. And so for them, in their best efforts to follow Jesus, they think that we shouldn't be eating this meat, right? So Paul says, yeah, the strong, you're right. You're right about this. So you have intellectually figured out the correct way to think about this, this situation. Okay, so we would assume that Paul would say, yeah, so you people who are the weak, um, you should just learn to deal with the strong. The strong, you should just enforce your opinion on the weak so that they don't, you know, they no longer are living um, stupidly or something, right? That's how we would view it. That's, that's the expectation we have. But Paul does not say that. He actually says, those of you who are strong, you should bear with the weak. 
instead of arguing with them and fighting and trying to think about the honor that I could gain from showing these weak people who don't understand what the right way to think about this is, I'm actually going to bear with them in love and understand that I could actually harm our unity if I tried to... Uh, tried to bully them and show how smart I am, or, or if I were to eat this meat sacrifice idols around them, because that might cause them to stumble, right? And so Paul says the greater value than being right is actually to bear with one another in love and unity. It's not about um, being right. It's not about being smart. It's about creating this unity and love with one another. And so Paul says this is how we're supposed to live. He actually says uh, this, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Pause there, right? He's saying, what is more important here? Food, getting to eat your meat, right? Getting to eat that bacon, right? I know it looks good. I know it smells good. What's better, that or destroying the work of God? Because the work of God is oneness. It's the unity to bring people together under Jesus, right? All the people in this church that God has created through his people, I brought them together. Don't destroy the work of God just to fill your stomachs up. That's what Paul's saying. All food is clean, but it's wrong for, so he's, he's agreeing, the weak or the strong here are right. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So, the higher value, instead of your own happiness, your own life, your own liberty, is actually the value of the, of the other people. That's what Paul's saying here. So we see a little clash here, perhaps, with the founding of, of this American national myth and then what it looks like uh, to live in the church. Our goal should be to make peace and to mutually edify one another. And he says, make every effort to do it. Which is also what he says here in Ephesians 4. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Okay? He's saying that, like, listen, maybe we're, we're tempted to make every effort to, like, make ourselves look good. Maybe we're tempted to make every effort to gain honor or uh, value for ourselves at the expense of others. But I'm telling you, make every effort to lift up your brothers and your sisters. Make every effort to maintain unity and holiness with one another. That is of much greater value. So make every effort to do that instead of making every effort to make yourself shine or win the argument, whatever it is, right? This is the value that we have as Christians, Paul says, okay? This leads us to our application. So every week we kind of end with, with a few points of application from the text that we've just walked through. So uh, the first uh, application point, just reflect and ask yourself, am I living according to the calling that I'm called with, Right? Or does some other calling, like, actually hold sway over your life? Right? We're all prisoners to something, right? We're all, we're all slaves to something. Are you a prisoner of some other calling, or are you a prisoner to this calling that we have been called with, that we're called to live in accordance with? Right? Um, do we, would we rather be our own kings and queens than live under the lordship of Jesus and live by our own values as opposed to his values over us? Um, do my habits reflect another calling on my life? You want to get a sense for this? So, like, I bet we all are totally fine asking that question, all right? But it's, it's a little bit harder to like, find out, like, how do I ask that question of myself well? So, so think about this. Want to get a sense for like, how you value yourself as opposed to others? Just think about your time and how you think about it. Because I think um, 
Like, we value our time more than anything, even more than our money. And if you don't believe me, just think about some of these new businesses that are blowing up where you can pay people to go get your groceries for you or you can pay people to go uh, grab all these other things for you. We would rather pay someone else to do something than take the time on our own to go do it, to take the 15 minutes or whatever it would cost to, to run over to McDonald's. We'd rather pay Uber Eats to bring us McDonald's or something like that, right? That just shows you that in this culture, right, we value time, I think, maybe even more than money, okay? So, so ask yourself, like, how do I spend my time? And, like, what is that pointed towards? Because that will show me, like, who my Lord is, who, my, who, who I value. So, like, keep track of your hours. If you really want to get practical, take a week, Write down your hours. Take just, you know, like, just to talk about what you're doing. Like, how much time at the end of the week are you putting into me time? How much time are you putting into work? How much time are you putting uh, towards loving God and loving others? Right? The results can kind of show you what calling you're living for, right? And as I've done that, I'm like, whoa, I was not, like, happy with the results. <laughs> I was, like, a little bit, like, Yikes, that, that, is, that is very telling, right? So does, that's a way that you can ask yourself, like, uh, practically, like, what am I, like, what am I, what calling am I living out in my life, right? The way we do our time is a really good way to show that in this culture, all right? Second point of application, make every effort, okay? This is pretty obvious, but, like, make every effort, right? Um, our habits will be formed by living out a calling from another place if we aren't intentional, Right? So intentionality is super important. Right? We, we have to be intentional because we like it when things are easy, but we don't like it when things are hard or they take work. Right? And this is hard and it takes work. Okay? That's why Paul is saying what he's saying. So we need to be intentional. And that's what it looks like to make every effort. We have to be prepared. We have to be thoughtful. We have to be looking constantly for ways to live this out. Okay? We can't just say, I'll do it when I find opportunities or when someone else presents an opportunity for me to be unified with someone else, then I'll do it. Like, we have to go out of our way to actually make this really work in the way that I think Paul has a vision for. And that's our calling. Okay? Reflect on yourself. Take time to reflect. Like I was just saying, pray about it. Commune with God about ways I can be living uh, this out in my own life. Like, what is God telling me about how I can t- practically live this out in my life? Ask for wisdom and guidance from people you trust. Read scripture. Talk with people in your community groups and rely on the strength of the Spirit to help you, right? Like, believe that God is going to reveal to you your own heart in that. Um, every church that has ever existed has struggled with unity. Even pa- ones Paul led, like we talked about with the meat sacrificed idols. Read the book of 1 Corinthians if you really want to figure out how bad things got for churches that Paul oversaw. Like, it was a struggle then. It's a struggle now. Doesn't make it any less... Uh, uh, worth it to actually live it out with one another. All right, and then our third application point, okay, we're, we're talking about living this out. Let's look to our hope and our model of it. Now, um, every, like, or a lot of societies that might have some founding myth have some, like, character who's, like, the, the uh, quintessential, like, person as a part of that. And so for, for us, we, like, have Captain America, right? It couldn't be more obvious that because his name is Captain America, right? He's actually like, I love Captain America. He's like my, my, my favorite Avenger, which I'm really excited for this next Avengers movie, okay? But like, just think about what we value. We value truth, we value justice, we value freedom. And so like, we come up with characters that embody that, right? Like, and Superman's another good example of that. Um, so like, we, we look to people and say, this is the quintessential American or whatever, right? Now we have a quintessential new society person too, Except we didn't invent him, though, 
right? Uh, Michelle Lee Barnwell says, an other-oriented, uh, other-centered orientation by all is crucial for unity, for Paul defines love as following Christ's example as one who did not use his rights, but instead laid down his life for others. So if you really want to be inspired by the true example of living this out, right, of living out this hum- humility and gentleness, making every effort, bearing with one another in love, our example is Jesus on the cross, right? So, so not only do you have like the founding of this new society taking place on the cross, right? We believe that, right? Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection has, has, has made us one, has made us new, right? Has forgiven us of our sins, right? That's, what we, that's why we're here, right? That's why we exist is because this happened. But it also gives us a model of what it looks like to live that out, okay? Okay. Um, if God gave himself up on a cross to unite us to God and to another, then we can give up of ourselves too, right? I don't imagine any of you are going to need to nail yourselves up on a cross in order to bear with one another. I hope that doesn't happen. If it does, let me know, and, and I, I will talk to the other person maybe for you, okay? But, but seriously, like, um, we, we have this picture of what it looks like, and we know that, like, God himself was willing to bear with us in love up to this point, Right? So if he's willing to do it for us, like we can be willing to go and do things like deal with someone's flakiness or their really type A personality. Right? We can deal with that. That's okay. Right? It, we can put up with people who do things that annoy us. Whatever that thing is that just drives you nuts about this one person in your community group or at the church, like, you can deal with that. You can bear with that person in love because it's a better value to live unified to one another. Right? Um, like, we can, we can manage that, okay? And we're called to do it, right? And we will be given help by this same model, like, through the Spirit, to make that happen. Because God cares that we live in unity with one another, too. So he's going to make that happen for us through his Spirit. And we just need to rely on that and trust it, okay? So here's what we do. We, we end every service um, with communion, a time of communion and a time of worship. Um, and, and so what we are doing is we're reflecting on uh, the work of Christ on the cross for us uh, to give himself up for us, right? We do that tangibly every week through the taking of communion uh, bread and the communion uh, grape juice. Um, So I want to invite all of you to come up in worship, in remembrance, um, while the worship team comes up here and plays some music and, and, and spend some time reflecting both on Christ's own sacrifice, his ability or his desire to make every effort for us Reflect on that, and then also spend some time reflecting on your own uh, living out the unity uh, that God has called us to, that he's made for us and he calls us to live out. Um, we also believe that uh, uh, worship can be um, shown through tithing um, and through the singing uh, together. So we're going to have those two things going on as well. If you'd be interested in giving, uh, you can go to the back um, and there's a box in the very back or there's some info on your welcome card about ways you can give online. Um, So if you would all bow uh, your heads with me in prayer, um, we will enter into that time. Lord, we we want to thank you that you have uh, made every effort for us so that we may um, be united to one another uh, through your love um, so that we may be united to you through your love. God, we we praise you that you, you were willing to bear with us, Lord. You were willing to make every effort on our behalf. And I pray that you would uh, give us the ability uh, to live that out with one another here at Resurrection City um, and as we go out from this place as well, Lord. We, we thank you. We praise you. Um, we love you. Amen.